from NPM, the National Association of Pastoral Musicians. This is episode 216 of Ministry Monday. Ministry Monday is a weekly podcast about music, ministry, and liturgy produced by the National Association of Pastoral Musicians, or NPM. What is NPM? NPM is a national association that fosters the art of musical liturgy. The members of NPM serve the Catholic Church in the United States as musicians, clergy, liturgists, and other leaders of prayer. For more information, go to npm.org forward slash join. Have a question? Email us anytime at ministrymonday at npm.org. Hello, and welcome to Ministry Monday. My name is Emily Strand, and I'm chair of the Communications Forum for NPM. I also co-host a couple of my own podcasts, Potterversity, in which academics discuss the Harry Potter series, and Meet Father Rivers, a podcast about a hidden but essential figure in American Catholic liturgy, Father Clarence Rivers. Both shows can be found wherever you get your podcasts. But today, I'll be your host here on Ministry Monday. I am filling in for Amanda, who has been sick, unfortunately, and lost her voice. But she had the chance to record today's interview beforehand. Today, we speak to Diana McAlintal, the co-founder and co-director of TeamRCIA.com and Liturgy.life, and a widely recognized leader and speaker in the areas of the catechumenate and Catholic liturgy and music. Diana discusses the process of developing, approving, and executing a new translation of what many of us know as the Rite of Christian Initiation for Adults, or RCIA, in the Catholic Church, both in the United States and across the world. Moreover, Diana discusses with us the basis for the changes to the RCIA and what to expect for its upcoming new translation, the Order of Christian Initiation for Adults, or OCIA. This is also a good time to mention that the changes to the OCIA will also be a topic at this year's NPM convention. Both the in-person and virtual convention opportunities will include breakout sessions on the changes to the right. We'll include more information about the convention at the end of the episode. Diana joins us from her home in San Jose, California. Today on Ministry Monday, I'm speaking to Diana McAlintol. Hi, Diana. How are you today? Hi, Mandy. I'm doing well. I'm so happy to see you, even though it's virtually, but uh, but happy to be with you today. You too. Thank you for being willing to chat with us on Ministry Monday about the OCIA. Mm-hmm. Um, so, of course, this is a podcast of music, ministry, and liturgy, and I think we're going to tap on all three of them today in our conversation yeah um because as we know there is a new translation coming out um that will be called the ocia Um, but i really want us to dig in and just kind of get an idea maybe for those who are not religious education directors really what that means and how that would impact us as pastoral musicians um so as we start actually let me ask you just a baseline question what is RCIA versus OCIA? What are we going to be talking about today? Okay. 
Well, the the right of Christian initiation of adults that we often call the RCIA is being retranslated just like all of the other um, wonderful rights that we know and love that have been retranslated over the last several years, uh, starting with the former sacramentary, the the order that we use for a Eucharist becoming the Roman Missal and the whole retranslation of that. So the, the rite of Christian initiation of adults is the collection of rituals that we use to uh, initiate adults and children who have reached catechetical age. So around the age of seven, but it, that's not a hard and fast rule there. It's whenever children are capable of uh, sort of recognizing and responding to God's action in their life. They are response-able to God, so responsible for how to, to act when God enters into their life. So it's the order of rituals for those adults and children who are at that age of reason to become baptized, to become Catholic. So the new translation Basically, the new title is Order of Christian Initiation of Adults. And uh, a lot of what you'll discover in the new translation is going to be what is currently in the translation right now that you have hopefully on your bookshelf or in the sacristy. And uh, there's not much that will be changing uh, structurally. The structure is going to stay the same. The rituals are going to stay the same. The text is going to be very different. Uh, the text that we use and the rituals themselves and also the directives, the rubrics. And here's something that could be really good for us. Uh, a lot of things that we've learned over uh, the last several decades since 1988, when we first started using this ritual in the U.S., uh, some of those things that have confounded us and confused us will be clarified. And there's one that one question that I always get from music ministers uh, that I, I'm glad to see in the new ritual will be um, more. It will be clearer for us, so we won't be so confused when we're planning uh, these rituals. Can you share with that question? Oh, yes. Well, so in the rite of acceptance, this is the first public ritual in the set of uh, rituals that we use here. Uh, when an unbaptized person is ready to enter into the order of catechumens. So there's going to be a lot of theology that we talk about today because the rituals really reflect what we believe in, in the church and, and the way we understand uh, church structure and our roles in the church. And so when an unbaptized person is ready to begin this formal process toward baptism and uh, confirmation and Eucharist, they have to enter into an official order of the church. So the first ritual is called the rite of entrance into the order of catechumens. Uh, we often uh, shorten that, say it's the rite of acceptance. In the new translation, it will be called the entrance into the catechumenate. Basically, it means that this person now has an official status and role in the church. And so they, they have rights and responsibilities and duties now as a member of the order of catechumens. So this ritual is really, really important. In, in that rite, the whole first part of the mass is uh, 
replaced by the ritual, uh, the rite of acceptance. But there's still some things that we, you know, what what parts of the opening rites do we do? Do we do an opening song? And so we get those kinds of questions. And so the new translation says that everything in the introductory rites for the mass are replaced by the rite of acceptance. But if the day, if the mass itself requires a Gloria, you would sing the Gloria and you would uh, pray the collect for that mass after the Gloria. So then it's it, it gives us a better sense of what we're supposed to do when the rite of acceptance happens at a mass on Sundays when we would sing the Gloria. So, so hopefully that'll be more helpful for um, music ministers and liturgists who are planning these days. Nice. Great. And I think we'll probably even circle back on some practical application mm -hmm. at the end too. So I think that'll be great. Okay. So let's start from the very beginning. We've established the difference between RCIA and of course OCIA. For those who are listening and don't know, what is the process of defining and executing and carrying out a translation? Mm. Oh, well, this is like, um, uh, finding out how the sausage is made there's a <laughs> lot of there's a lot of steps in there that um only diehard diehard uh liturgy geeks like me really want to know about but the the basic things and um it really is kind of a, a beautiful process all of our rites that we're not creating new rituals we've had these rites some of them for centuries, some of them newly created, but but relatively um, uh, not part of our, our contemporary history. So, for example, the rite of Christian initiation of adults, that's a newly created ritual from, oh gosh, I'm, my history is going to, going to be bad now. But in the after Vatican II, Vatican II called for um, a development of a series of rites for the catechumenate. And so we begin with a base translation, a base translation or a base ritual text uh, that is typically in Latin. So everyone starts with the Latin and uh, we created then we look at these Latin texts and for English speaking countries, there is a committee. Uh, the International Committee on English and the Liturgy, or we call it ISIL, and you'll see that a lot in the copyright information box at the bottom of uh, lots of our, our music. This committee sets out to study the Latin text, the base text, and then to create uh, an English draft that will be sent out to all of the countries in the world, not just the United States, but all the countries in the world that use English as a primary language in worship. So Canada, Australia, England, Wales, India, the Philippines, uh, I know I'm missing uh, several others, but all of these um, countries receive this draft English translation from the International uh, Committee on English and the Liturgy. And their bishops then go through and read through this draft and they send to ISIL their suggestions for changes, their questions, their comments. And then ISIL collects all of these comments from all the bishops around the world who uh, are in these English speaking countries. 
and they come up with a second draft. And that goes back out to the, uh, the bishops' conferences in the world, and the bishops' conferences then vote. And so the United States voted uh, for this new translation, um, the first one, the first translation of the right of Christian initiation of adults way back, like, oh my gosh, in the early 80s, I believe. And then it it took a while then to uh, develop other, it, it requested, the U.S. bishops requested adaptations, and this is the same for all other um, translation processes. Uh, as they're going through this new draft in English, they start creating adaptations that they want for their specific country. Uh, so the combined rights that you might be using in the RCIA um, is part of that adaptation that the U.S. bishops requested. And then it has to go through a series of voting within the U.S. bishops, within that body of bishops. And that could take years. That could take, uh, or it could be very, very quick. So once all of your bishops in your country have said, okay, this is the translation that we want to use in our country, they have to uh, uh, say, vote and say yes to that, and then send that along with all of their requests for adaptations, for changes back to the Vatican. And then the Vatican has to either say, okay, that looks good, or no, you got to change this, you got to change that, or no, you can't change that. And it could go back and forth, back and forth, back and forth. Once the Vatican says, okay, you're good to go, then that approved translation goes back to your bishops, and the bishops then set a date for must use. So they say all, all of the dioceses in our country must use this new translation on this date. And in the meantime, they have to send those that new translation to all the publishers that uh, they have given permission to publish this translation. And they have to set that and they have to uh, engrave all the music that might go with that uh, and get do all of that and the paper shortage and everything has to be taken into consideration. So it's a long drawn out process and uh, sometimes things get stalled. So you, one thing you wanna know is if you're listening in a different country than the US, your process, your timeline will be different than the US process, um, but the process itself is the same. So just make sure that you are paying attention to what's going on in your country and using the translation that's approved for your country. Although I know a lot of Canadians and Australians like to borrow things from the United States uh, publication. So, so it's a, it's a mix and match, but it's a, it's a beautiful process because it kind of shows us this isn't, it, the, the rituals belong to us, but they belong to the, the big us, the capital we, you know, it belongs to the church and the church is more than just me or my parish or my choir. It feels very collaborative the way that you describe it. It, it can be, it can be. It, and there's a lot of things in um, the way we celebrate our rights that is intended to be collaborative. 
and, and especially the catechumenate rights are intended to be collaborative, but it, so much of it will depend on us. It will depend on the individuals who, who are called to collaborate together, it, whether or not we do that. And so it, it depends, but it is, it is a beautiful process to, to see and unfold. So we've been unfolding in this process now, obviously, in the translation. Um, is there a set date on when the new text will be available? No, for the, the United States, uh, where we are currently in that long process is the, the U.S. bishops approved a translation. Gosh, you know, pandemic days, I, I have <laughs> no sense of time anymore. Um, I think, gosh, I'm forgetting now. <laughs> But the, the U.S. bishops approved a translation and sent it off to Rome. And uh, it's been sitting in Rome's on Rome's desk somewhere, in some dicastery somewhere, um, waiting for either a vote or approval by the, the congregation in Rome that does that. And so we're still waiting. I, I keep checking, checking my sources to see what's going on, but... But we're just in that holding period. So not, the U.S. bishops won't set a date until we actually get the text back. So don't don't go out and toss out your current translation just yet. <laughs> Keep right. duct taping it together. <laughs> well, when it's time to start using the new translation, whenever that is, um, why is planning for the new translation important? Oh, well... Okay, this is this is going to sound like a, a long answer to that really basic question, but why is so important? When I first started as a music minister long ago, gosh, like in the 70s, it, those were the days when we were really trying to figure out how to celebrate together in, in the vernacular in this new uh, ritual way. And it, so much of what we did as music ministers was, you know, the four, the four song sandwich, you know, opening song, offertory, communion, closing song. And that was the extent of what we did. And, and maybe we would sing the psalm, maybe we would sing the, the Alleluia, and maybe we would sing the Eucharistic prayer acclamations. But a lot of times in those early days, those were just spoken. You know, we we did the songs, the, those four songs. And then I remember, I remember distinctly our music director saying, okay, we have to start learning and singing these short phrase acclamations, you know, two measure acclamations, four measure acclamations. And we're going to do that at this ritual that's coming up. And I'm like, this is weird. Why are we just singing these short kinds of things? And then we started incorporating those into these rituals, these brand new rituals in the 80s, uh, 1988, 1989, when the right of Christian initiation of adults first came out um, and was being used in our parishes. And at first it felt really strange and uncomfortable but what it did, what it did for me as a, as a young music minister, as a person who really, I had no clue about liturgy. I was just there to do music. What it started opening up for me was the power of what liturgy does 
to everyday people, people who weren't um, who weren't ordained, people who weren't religious sisters or brothers, you know, just ordinary people like me sitting in the pews and my family. And once we started celebrating in this kind of more dialogical way where music wasn't just a, okay, we're going to take a break for a song, where it was part of the ritual itself and the music allowed the people to express their joy to to respond in real time through song to what this person just said in the ritual it started to show to me that what we say and do in these rites actually mean something they actually say something and do something not only to the person who's celebrating the rites but to us so when we say that we will we we will support you and walk with you you this new person who wants to become baptized and we sing that in song it, that it stays with you right when we when we say we claim you uh, in the name of Christ, and we mark that person with the cross, and we sing, you know, we praise you, and we bless you, and we we chant the, the words of what we are doing to that person, assigning them with the cross, it stays with you, and it tells you something about what's going on here, and your responsibility to one another, your your relationship to one another it's no longer just me and god it's you and me together in christ to the father yeah so it when we when i started looking at the catechumenate rights in that way instead of a kind of you know this imposition oh we have to do these weird songs or these short acclamations or what or it's going to take up a lot of time in in both rehearsal and in the mass itself when i stopped complaining about the rights in that way and started really looking at what is happening to me what is happening to our assemblies when we sing these rituals and what is especially this question what is god doing in us and for us through this new person who wants to be part of the body of Christ. What is God doing? That just changes my whole sense of faith. My it, it deepens my faith. And it reminds me that what I do as a music minister isn't just secondary. It is, it is the way that we help the entire community enter into God's mystery, enter into God's relationship with us through this seeker. And what a beautiful thing that we can do. And so why not really pay attention to these rituals and, and try to do them the best that we can? I feel like we could just end right now because that mm. was, that was oh. so wonderful. Okay. <laughs> we could just That's put good. a stamp on it and be done. But that, that I, I love it. It's wonderful. I mean, I, I think to for those who are listening who and I said this before those who um, aren't religious education directors, I think that that so validates the need for that that preparation yeah. and then that 
how that can be so enlightening, not just for those who are coming into the church, but for us as ministers, mm -hmm. so we can do our, our ministry so much more fully. Yeah. Yeah. And here's the thing. I know that music ministers believe that, you know, whether or not you, whether or not you say that or are able to verbalize that, I know music ministers understand the power of the ritual. And we also have to recognize that catechists and religious education, uh, directors of religious education and people who work on that side of the church office space uh, are also learning about the power of liturgy itself. For so long, the way we treated, the way the church in general treated liturgy and catechesis was as two separate entities. Right. And the biggest reason for me what, what the result of that unveiling of the power of the ritual, especially through the rite of Christian initiation of adults, the, the result of that for me was that I began to have a lot more patience with those in the catechetical realm when, when it seemed like they didn't understand liturgy. Mm -hmm. And it made me want to build up relationships with them to work more collaboratively with them. And eventually it made me kind of become more of a catechist to help catechists you know, to be that bridge. And so music ministers can totally be that bridge between catechesis and liturgy um, if we enter into that relationship together. Because the catechists want <laughs> the best for their catechumens. They want the best for their seekers. And it's a, a growing, gradual process of learning together how to do that in the rituals that the church gives us. Okay, so we've explored a little bit more about the background of the translation and what we should expect. Let's kind of refocus and start to wind down our conversation with practical application for pastoral ministers, pastoral musicians, especially. Mm -hmm. So um, can you give any examples or suggestions on what pastoral musicians could do with something like the right of acceptance? You mentioned that earlier. Yeah. yeah. So, <clears throat> so all of these things that uh, I'll, I'll touch upon here are in your current translation. You can do them right now if you wanted. So as, as you are working uh, throughout your liturgical calendar and working with your catechists and your homilists and everyone else involved in this, you can do these things now. So in the, in the new translation, as well as in the current translation, the rite of acceptance, because it says what it's, it's communicating the theology of the church, the rite of acceptance begins outside and a lot of times when music ministers or liturgy planners and coordinators see that they go oh you know that's it's too much work let's just do it at the doors or at the back of the church or or whatnot and that's fine too the the ritual gives us the, that option but the first the norm that the ritual gives us is that we begin outside and it says you know a group of the faithful start outside. But if you're, if you're, if you really want to transform your community, you have to ask, well, how does just having a small group of the faithful 
being outside doing this right help the parish help the entire community understand what god is doing for us and in us through this this seeker and so whenever i've celebrated the rite of acceptance i invite the entire community to go outside and a lot of times people will say oh <laughs> they will never leave their seats they will never do that and they're right they are correct <laughs> but if you really delve into the meaning of the right this person who is unbaptized is seeking to become part of the body of Christ. And the, the beginning of that is the right of acceptance. And so the right says they start outside and we go out to greet them. Okay, so first off, for musicians, practically speaking, if we're going to get the entire parish outside to go greet this seeker, how are we going to do that? What are the practicalities? So for musicians, we need music to get people out, outside. For liturgists, we have to figure out how are we going to convince our assembly to go outside? So in one parish, I was a like a music coordinator. I wasn't the director. I was just helping uh, at the nine o'clock mass. And in a in about a month, we would be celebrating the rite of acceptance. And in this parish, they had never gone outside to celebrate the rite of acceptance. They always just did it at the doors, and we all turned and faced the, the, the doors. <clears throat> and we asked, we asked the, the new pastor there, well, would, would you be okay if we actually did this outside and invited everyone to go outside? And he immediately said, no, we're not going to do that. And he said, well, Father, could you give us, could, could you give us just one month to prepare uh, the assembly? And could we just try it this one time? And if, if it doesn't work, let's just, we never have to do it again that way. And he said, okay, you have one month to get it together. So that next Sunday, uh, before mass started as the coordinator for music i would always rehearse the the people sing something with them to get them warmed up and all and before doing that i would just i started by saying in about a month we're going to celebrate this ritual called the rite of acceptance and it's about uh it's it's for this person who you might have seen his name uh, i'll make up a name his name is david and he's been coming to our parish here and he he wants to become Catholic. He's not baptized. He he wants to be baptized. And he told me this week that one thing that he notices about our parish, our per parish in particular, is how welcoming we are to strangers and newcomers. And in fact, that's why David has been coming to our parish because he was welcomed from day one by just people, just you, not, not father or, or people on the staff, just somebody sitting in the pew welcomed him. And he, that really changed his, his feeling about becoming Christian, becoming a Catholic. And so what I want you to do this week is pray for David as he prepares uh, on this journey. And Pray for all of the visitors who come to our parish. 
pray that they will encounter someone who will welcome them and help them feel like they this is their home. And then I would do the rehearsal and then we start mass. The next Sunday, I tell another story about David. I say, okay, in three weeks, we're going to celebrate this rite of acceptance. And I told you about David last week. Let me tell you about something David told me this week when he, he went to our Bible study. We have a Bible study on Wednesday nights and he joined in, you know, he's not even baptized yet, but the Bible study people invited him to come to just meet other people in the parish. And he, he started reading the Bible with them. And David told me how amazing it was that, you know, these people that he hears at mass will read the, the readings, how much they love the word of God. And they talk about their faith through the word of God. And it just moved him to hear people's stories. And so dear friends, continue to pray for David and pray for our lectors and everyone who preaches and everyone who sings the psalm and everyone who speaks God's word in some way to us and give thanks for the gift of God's word. The third week, I would tell another story about David and how it connected to the parish. The fourth week I did that, the day of the right of acceptance comes. And I'm thinking, oh gosh, I don't know if they're going to actually come out and get out of their pews to celebrate this right. So I get up and I, I tell the parish, okay, dear friends, for the past month, I've been telling you about David and how he, he longs to become one of us, to become a member of the church and the body of Christ. And you've heard how much this parish has meant to him. Well, David is standing outside right now and he's hoping and praying that you will come outside and welcome him and embrace him and bring him into the church so that he can become one with Christ, one like us. And so please join me in gathering outside with David. We started singing a song. We got the choir walking down the aisle. We got the cross bearer walking down the aisle and we're starting to invite people to come. And at first they're, they're sort of like, oh, I don't know about this. I got my seat already, but they started moving. They started coming down the aisle. They started gathering. And even, even the older community and their walkers, they, they started, they got out of their seats. People were helping them outside and we gathered outside and surrounded David. And we were singing this song. It, you know, it was just, it was just like a, uh, just a refrain of a song a call and response song and people came outside and to this day people remember that they remember that moment of gathering around this seeker but it took work it, it wasn't just a you know a kind of an instant liturgy you had to do what the ritual asked of us to call all the baptized to exercise their responsibility. And the responsibility is one, yes, celebrate these rites, but it's to form a bond of love with those who are seeking Christ, to recognize in them God's desire for us and to uh, be examples and companions 
in our response of desire for God. That's what the rites call us to do, simply by asking us to go outside. And so music ministers, you can do that without permission. Know the rites and prepare your assembly because you have the microphone <laughs> a lot of times. You can, you can catechize um, and help people enter into these rituals in a deeper way. So that's, that's one thing that the ritual does. If you can uh, use music to express that desire. And so in the current ritual itself for that, for that procession out, it talks about Psalm 63, you know, my soul is thirsting for you. Uh, and it, so if we could use uh, a refrain setting that helps people express that desire our desire for God through the seeker and the seeker's desire for God through us, the church, uh, that just helps solidify what this ritual means and, and helps keep unveiling the meaning of this rite. Um, there is one, there's one other ritual procession that uh, I don't know of any musical setting uh, that's familiar enough but the text is uh, after we've signed the person. So part of the the high point of the rite of acceptance is the signing of the senses, um, specifically the signing of the forehead. That is the first consecration. That's what the ritual calls it: the first consecration of this seeker. And up until this point. This person has no status in the church. They are a seeker. They're unbaptized. Once they have been signed on the forehead and uh, in addition, the other senses, their eyes, their ears, their mouth, their shoulders, their hands, their feet. Once they have been claimed for Christ through the sign of the cross, their status changes and they are now called catechumens. And you'll see that in the ritual text up until then, it's it, the ritual text says either candidate or in the new rite, it will say um, the person who is a candidate for the cate uh, catechumenate, the person preparing to be a catechumen. Up until that point, it's seeker or candidate or, or no status. Once they are signed, they are officially called catechumen. So that's the high point. After that, we have a prayer of thanksgiving. And then the presider invites this person to feed, to come with us, to feed at the table of God's word. And the musical text that is suggested for that procession back into the church is, come children, listen, I will teach you the fear of the Lord. And, and then the verses come from Psalm 34 which is taste and see the goodness of God. And so come children, listen to me. I will teach you the fear of the Lord. Taste, I will glorify God all my life. His praise ever in my mouth. What the church is doing with this ritual text, if we're singing this song as we are accompanying this person over the threshold of the church from outside to inside to feed them, like a newborn child, to feed them with God's word, it's saying, taste 
how wonderful God's word is. See, see in us how amazing, how, how powerful God's word is coming to life in us. Taste and see the goodness of God and you will learn the, the, the terrifying, you know, I use that word terrifying in the sense of awe awe-inspiring the that love that love that you have for your your spouse that love that you have for your child that love that you have for the person you are most in love with that you cannot put into words how terrifying and earth-shattering and earth-shaking and transformative everything is different because of that love that is what God is giving to us in the word in, that is embodied in the scriptures, in this people, and embodied in the sacraments that we celebrate. In that small rite of walking over the threshold, singing together with this new catechumen, how could we not fall deeper in love with God's word, deeper in love with the people who preach and proclaim and sing that word and then try the best they can to live that word in whatever way they can. Uh, that's, that's the thing that music directors can do. Music ministers can do through these rites. Right now, you don't have to wait for the new translation. The things that I'm taking as the takeaways for music ministers, and like you said, doesn't have to start when the translation is approved and executed and carried out, um, it's clear that preparation, prayer, and music can deepen the right for, of course, our experience as music ministers, but for the parish as a whole. And yeah. we, we have such an active, we, we, we can have an active role in that. It doesn't have to be passive. Exactly. Exactly. We have more power than we think. So <laughs> let's keep using it. Well, Diana, I feel like I could talk with you about this for another like hour. I mean, your your <laughs> your joy on this topic is so evident. And so uh, I I thank you. I thank you for sharing your knowledge and again your enthusiasm. It's contagious and it um, it just makes me very excited for the Lenten season ahead. So thank you. I'm so glad. Thank you so much for this opportunity. You can tell the rites are something that I love because it changed me, it changed me a, a cradle Catholic, but it changed me because of the music, because of the liturgy, which are things that I know um, the NPM community loves so much. Uh, so go with all the blessings and prayers that uh, I can give to to the work that each of your your music ministers and, and liturgists do because it, it changes the world. So thank you. Thanks so much to Diana McAlintal for her time today. 
As I mentioned earlier, the 2023 National NPM Convention will include breakout sessions on the OCIA, exploring this document further. The NPM Convention will be in person in Reno, Nevada from July 10 through 14, and virtually from July 18 through 20. Registration will open soon. Check out npm.org for more information, including how to register. We'll also offer more information in the show notes for this episode, and those are posted, as always, at ministrymonday.org. The recording of Take These Ashes, To the Desert Follow Me, was written by Sarah Hart and produced by Oregon Catholic Press. And the theme music for today's episode was produced by Aaron Schaus. Today's episode of Ministry Monday was co-produced by Amanda Bruce and me, Emily Strand. That's it for today's episode. With the Spirit's gifts empowering us for the work of ministry, thanks so much for listening. Have a great week, and we'll see you back here soon for another episode of Ministry Monday. You